Well, good morning, everyone. So this is Laura. Everyone say hi, Laura. Hello. Hello. Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I am a mother of two, June and Ashton over there, my husband Cliff as well. I work at the hospital in town as an ultrasound tech, and I am involved with the youth ministry here. Yeah, perfect. So, Laura, I understand that you have quite the story about finding Jesus. I do. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Uh, so, I was raised in a Christian home. My father is actually a Presbyterian minister. Um, so, I had every opportunity to get to know Jesus. And uh, for reasons I don't fully understand, I exercised my freedom to basically not do what my parents wanted me to do. I chose to make my own choices. I chose to not really listen to their wisdom. And uh, I kind of went off to university with my own path and lots of questions that I still had about Christianity and religion, but um, I was seeking those out on my own without really talking to God a lot. Um, And in my mind, I was doing quite well, uh, but really I probably wasn't. Um, I always saw Christianity, while this was not taught to me, I saw Christianity as a set of rules, and if I fell short of those rules, I felt like I wasn't worthy of God's love. I'm very thankful that I've come to learn that isn't true. So everything changed for me uh, shortly after our twins were born premature at 35 weeks. Our daughter, June, uh, became quite ill two days after she was born with something called called necrotizing enterocolitis, or NEC, we'll just call it. So we were in Kitchener at the time, and she was transferred to McMaster's Children's Hospital that we're very thankful for the care they had there. Um, But she was in serious condition at that time. And we were prepped by the surgeons upon arrival that the condition of her bowel was so bad and it was so inflamed that um, we may have to remove a portion of the dead bowel um, to put an ileostomy in at an older date when she was stronger and able to deal with the surgery, they would reattach it. So as you can imagine, serious implications for her health and well-being. And I think anyone who is a parent knows how crippling that feeling of helplessness can be. So I literally fell to my knees in prayer. Uh, I came to God completely humbled, completely aware that He knew me, but I didn't know him. I hadn't been talking to him at all in the years prior. Um, So coming to him, I felt like I shouldn't be talking to him. I felt like I haven't been giving you this relationship that I know you so much wanted with me. And uh, that was very, very humbling, and it was very eye-awakening for me. But like I had mentioned, I had this Christian family, so I did have a Christian community around me, whether I was involved in it or not. Um, So my parents sent out prayers. They told their Christian community about what was going on. My sister, who is married into a family that's huge missionaries all over the world, sent prayers out to their community, and before I knew it, I was receiving prayer from all over the globe. And I was receiving emails, text messages, Facebook messages saying, we're praying for your daughter, June, we're praying for your family. And I got up every morning feeling lifted by God and by the prayers of people. So all that prayer passed, and June stayed stable. She did not need surgery. She's completely healthy today. But... (laughs) Um, so at 
McMaster is a teaching hospital and they round with their teams of magnificent minds and magnificent people and the, the doctor leading the rounds said to his team, and I was there, I, uh, he said, we've never seen a case of neck this bad heal so fast. And of course I piped up and said, well, how do you explain that? And he just looked at me, this amazing medical man, and he just said, it's a miracle. Mm. And that's, yeah, the moment everything changed for me. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, so you mentioned a little bit about the community mm-hmm. and just how their prayers sort of affected you, but I wonder if you could just talk a bit more about that community that's developing in your situation there. Absolutely. So uh, when I was in my deepest need, everyone who loved me came out to help, but there were people who didn't even know me well who came to help, and I was just completely loved on by community. Um, by where I was working at the time in Kitchener, the hospital there absolutely rallied around me. There were meals being made, there was money collected because there's a financial burden to going off work early, and then you're living in Hamilton at the time. We were thankful for the Ronald McDonald House and the people there, um, and just the people who sat with me and listened and prayed with me and hugged and cried with me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and since, I mean, you're, you're a dedicated volunteer, super mom, uh, <laughs> it's true. How would you describe people kind of making a difference and the way that you see that now maybe compared to how you did before? Right. So there was a big shift in the way I saw the world after that. Um, before I could see the wor- world as a bit of a negative or hostile place and lots of bad things happening. And then everything kind of shifted when I found Jesus and I saw the amazing work that the people, um, that his people are doing. And uh, it shifted my world perspective. So I just saw how God is full of love and that his love is spreading and evil's being overcome. There's people everywhere fighting for injustice. There's people helping one another um, there's people across the ocean doing missionary work, which is just as important as the people here making a meal for a mom who needs it or for someone who's sick. And I just see this amazing community who loves one another, and they do this through Jesus. And that, that shift in perspective was huge. Right on. <laughs> this is my very dear friend, Megan Galligan, who I love very much. And I've watched Megan grow up in our kids' program for the last number of years, So I just wanted her to have a chance to tell you how she's grown to come to know Jesus better through New Life Church and in her life. Can you tell us how you have felt loved and accepted at New Life? Jesus cares about other people, and Jesus will always love us no matter what. When I was little, I thought people would judge me for who I am and what I look like. I have very different eyes. One of them is crossing into my nose, so that means I can see in two different places at one time. You can be... You can be a really unique person, and you would still find friends at New Life. They don't care what you look, what you look like. For goodness sakes, you can come in a hot dog suit, and you would still find friends. New Life is basically a big family. We all work together to keep our faith alive. It doesn't matter what you look like or what happens to you. We will treat you like you're a part of our family, and that's why I feel like I have a family at New Life. Okay, so can you share some of your favorite memories? In grade four, we did a fun game where we had to help each other build the tallest tower, but people were allowed to steal cups from each other. 
The kids were running back and forth to get cups. One person would usually stay at home base while the other scavenged for cups. It was absolute mayhem. <laughs> we learned that there's a better way to work together. This taught me that we have to have each other's backs no matter what. Another memory that I have is once at a campfire that they hosted here, I learned how to make a smoke signal just in case I need to escape from an island or even school. <laughs> so now you're in grade five, so that means you're in junior youth. Can you tell us about your experiences there? Youth is the funnest place to go. I have actually quite a few friends in youth. Usually, we start off chatting about our week, and then we get into activities. For example, a week or two ago, we split into two groups, and we, had, we each got a Bible to answer some questions. It was like a mini race. My group ended up winning. <laughs> Once a month, on the last Friday, Jennifer Robinson throws a big youth party for all the junior youth. We, we hang out, play games, eat pizza, and just have so much fun. And something that kind of is weird but awesome, whenever I'm having a bad day, my friends and youth always find a way to make, my, make me smile, no matter what. So I've watched you grow up into this fabulous person. You know I love you. I think you're fantastic. Thank you. But I've, I've seen you grow. I've seen you grow in so many different ways and different experiences. So how has New Life helped you to actually follow Jesus? New life is like my family, and this is where I've learned all about Jesus, actually. So he's, a, he's like a part of my family. Jesus has taught me, even though some things are hard, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. New life is like my home away from home. I've been coming here ever since I was one, and I can assure you that this is the best church I've ever gone to. <laughs> Um, okay, but I think you've been, we've been we're having a debate because I actually think you've been coming here since you were born. Hmm. So you and I, we need to chat with mom about that, Yes, right? we do. Okay, is there anything that you would like to share with us? I'd like to share a verse that I really like. John 10, 27. Jesus says, I am a sheep and Jesus is my shepherd. If I am lost, I can always turn to him. Okay, sorry. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. This means to me that I am a sheep, Jesus is my shepherd, and if I am lost, I can always turn to him, and he will never stop caring for me. I love that. That's awesome. Thank well, you. Thank you. So. Finding Jesus, following Jesus, joining the family, making a difference. These are the things we want for you, not necessarily from you. Uh, and one of the ones we have is about making a difference. And we have celebrated before, we have about 180 people at New Life that are serving in various capacities through different ministries uh, and programs that we offer here. And then countless of you are in the community because we encourage our people to be serving in the community and making a difference and actually letting people know that part of the reason why why we are in our community serving is because of our relationship with Jesus. And so we recognize that there are lots of people that are uh, serving and many times in sacrificial ways. And so we've invited Dave and Linda up here, not because they are the best servers or because they give the most time, but just simply um, to kind of represent all of us and talk a little bit about making a difference 
We talk about making a difference in the community and in our world, but often when we do that, it actually makes a difference within us. And so I've asked if they would just share a little bit about some of what they do and how that's impacted them. Good morning. Um, in the version of the Bible called The Message, James 2, 14 to 17, it says, Dear friends, do you think you're going to get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts? is outrageous nonsense? We can talk about God to others, but far more effective is showing them his character through action. Everyone is looking for love, and Jesus' love surpasses anything that they could imagine or experience. We serve on several teams helping folks who are in need. They include the Erie Street Church Super Tuesday, which is a weekly soup kitchen, a Christmas project at Home Horizons, which is the long-term shelter for young adults, the out-of-the-cold shelter for those needing a warm bed on a cold night, and moving furniture for the furniture for the Georgian Bay Furniture Bank, and that supplies free furniture for people in need. Um, as well, we help numerous seniors in their homes. We're meeting people from all walks of life, which energizes us and increases our sensitivity and compassion. Everyone is precious in God's eyes, and we are appreciating that diversity and variety. Many folks we've gotten to know wouldn't normally have crossed our paths, but our lives are richer, our hearts are fuller, and our eyes are opened. It may be selfish, but it sure feels good when you know you're making a difference in someone else's life. It puts a smile on your face and a spring on your step. Helping others causes us to be less self-centered and more focused on the things that God cares about. When we serve, we're being obedient to God's command. He doesn't just suggest we help others. He demands it. Perhaps helping others is more important than going to church. Just food for thought. <laughs> uh, we're promised rewards or crowns in heaven when we serve him, so isn't that motivation enough? Another reward of serving is seeing prayers answered. Spiritual discussions and prayer have taken place at Super Tuesday. An example, one gal was ex um, extremely depressed and anxious. She couldn't pay her bills. So through listening, prayer, encouragement, and directing her to appropriate resources, uh, she's starting a new job this week. On a side note, Sobeys Grocery Store is now enthusiastically partnering by donating food uh, to Super Tuesday, and we're hoping to persuade them to also donate to Out of the Cold Shelter. When we do handyman work, for, well, when he does handyman work for seniors <laughs> or friends, um, they sometimes feel obligated to give financially, so we always ask that they donate uh, money to envisage the Pregnancy Resource Center. Dwight Moody said, of 100 men who will read the Bible, pardon me, Dwight Moody said, of 100 men, one would read the Bible and 99 
will read the Christian. Let me say that again. Of 100 men or women, one, one will read the Bible, 99 will read the Christian. Won't you be one of the 99 who, when people read you, will see someone who loves others through serving? After all, the Lord served us by giving his life for us. that we work hard to be in community with one another here at New Life is through our home churches. And because we're a growing congregation, we're blessed with that, it can be tricky to know everyone when we're in the large group, like we're here this morning. And home churches have just become these great little pockets of relationship that we have. So I've invited Kathy Peterson, who leads one of our Collingwood home churches, to share a few thoughts with us about home church this morning. How has the experience of being part of a home church helped you build connections here at New Life? Well, interestingly, our involvement, me and my my husband, Stephen, started when we were not just new to New Life, but also new to Collingwood. So everything was new. And um, we got involved. And interestingly, a number of the other people that joined our group were also not just new to New Life, but new to Collingwood as well. So it really marked our group. We were not just new to house church at New Life, but we were really newcomers to everything. And it, it, it was very significant in turning the corner for us um, from being newcomers coming in, every face is strange, um, to coming in the door and recognizing familiar faces and feeling at home. And when I mentioned to my small group um, just a few days ago that I'd be up here answering these questions, other people also piped up and said that, and said, you know what, it made the difference for us when we come into that foyer and you see a sea of faces that all of a sudden we started recognizing people that we knew, people that would smile at us, people that would give us a hug of greeting. Um, It changed this from being a group experience to being one of far more intimacy. So because we've got such a large group here, how important would you say being part of a smaller group like the home church is to building relationship in the in the broader group. Yeah, I thought of that a little bit, and it certainly is, I think, a key, key element in terms of creating that intimacy I mentioned at the end of the first question, like someone you can walk in and, and give a hug to, because it's, it's enabled us to have those conversations that go a bit deeper. We now know the names of all of our members' children and family and pray for them, and we've gotten into conversations that wouldn't have happened just over coffee. You know, you get to those second and third layer deep questions. And I also thought of the question um, in comparison to being involved in a house church that is a smaller gathering versus um, serving on a teaching team or out in the parking lot. And because many of us in our group also serve somewhere and those experiences give us a place to give back, which was a key of feeling a part of the church. But I also know that when you're busy serving soup or I'm busy teaching Sunday school or busy parking cars, you have conversations and you get to know people, but still it's that second, third level deep conversations I don't think we would have gotten to without the house church. So actually it's a beautiful combination of our house church involvement plus serving that has been sort of the magic formula if you're wanting to look for a secret to really coming in deep to a community. Mm -hmm. I love that. One of our goals for the home churches is to make them a place where people receive just genuine love and and care. Can you maybe share a story or two of how you've seen that play out in your group? 
Sure. So we've had a couple years, our first few months, you know, people in and out of our group. And, but for the past two years, we've been pretty steady in membership. And that has really allowed us to build bonds of trust. Um, and so there's been the some hospital visits and there's been rides given. I know there's been brownies baked and it's, and it's not just say leader driven, it's, you know, cross pollinated amongst our group. Um, but interestingly, I received an email from one of my group members just like two days before you sent me the email asking me to come up here. So it was just, it was just timely and it was fresh, but most, and, and in those two years, I've done a fair bit of trying to build us as a group that knows each other and can do the discussion questions, but can also really pray for each other in a real and authentic way. And we've grown there in, uh, in many ways, too. And we had, um, in one previous Tuesday night, there had been somebody's son who was in a rough place. And we'd heard the story, and we'd prayed that night. And then it stuck with me. Like, it just wouldn't let me go. So the next morning, I was up, and I had my Bible out, and I was looking for verses. And very similar to how Paul found a verse for the pastors who came and visited on those Sundays, I wrote out a list of verses as changing a verse into a prayer, inserting the person's name as a blessing, typed them all out, um, sent them to the group saying, you know what, we're going to stand behind you, we're going to agree in prayer, we're going to bless the son, we're going we're gonna to persist with this in prayer, in agreement as a group, until we say change. Like, let's not let this go. And, and then I got the email of thanks from, you know, thank you so much for that. Boy, it made me feel so loved. I am feeling so blessed to be in a group like this, to be surrounded by people who are affirming me as a parent and sticking with me. And so I, it was just a really key, timely, recent example of how obviously our group environment has gotten to a point where people are feeling loved and cared for. Father, as we celebrate this morning uh, what you've been doing in our midst and the way that you've been leading us and and guiding, um, we recognize that uh, that you are allowing us to experience your love and your uh, joy and your Holy Spirit. And we know that we have this amazing opportunity to let that flow and change us from the inside out and then work itself out to impact all those around us. And so as we talk about um, these things here today, uh, we pray this very old prayer. Um, And we offer it to you. We offer ourselves to you. And together, um, we pray, Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. How many of you have heard of Dan Price? Probably not many of you or any of you, but you might be familiar with his story. Daniel Price is a young guy in his 30s, entrepreneur. He's a millionaire. He runs a company called Gravity Payments out of Seattle. Uh, back in 2014, uh, up, leading up to 2014, Dan Price had a reframing of his framework. 
Uh, he had 120 employees in, employees in his company, and they were paying them well. He had a conversation with one of them that said, uh, it's still not fair, and it really disturbed him. So for two years, they increased their employee salary by 20% a year. And, uh, and he was still wrestling and struggling with some of the inequalities he was sensing uh, that I think were gnawing away at him. So I believe it was 2014 to 2015, he did something radical. He took his $1.1 million salary and cut that down to $70,000. And he made the minimum wage for every employee in his company, 120 of them, $70,000 a year. He completely reworked the way that they operated. And he uh, financed and mortgaged some houses that he had and did an amazing amount of work to try to make this thing work. And he received an enormous amount of criticism. Uh, People calling him a socialist. This is how it's not going to work. And this is destined to fail. And he also received an enormous amount of accolades of people who said, this is amazing, particularly from his employees. Five years on, it is still going well. But you see, he has seen something in culture and in society and realized that culture is shifting and changing, and he needed to reframe his thinking. It ended up inviting a lawsuit from his brother who had part ownership in the company, and that got dismissed, and yet he still... um, bought out his brother at a fair market value and pursued the relationship first. Um, It's a complete reframing, a framework, a way of operating, a way of seeing the world, a way of recognizing their mission as a company. That is not the first time that has ever happened. It has happened many times in many places. I want to share a story for you from scripture where this also happened in the early church among the earliest Christians who were all devoutly Jewish. The very first followers of Jesus, the first church was a devoutly Jewish church. And if it wasn't Jewish, it just wasn't. And we're introduced to a guy named Peter, kind of the pillar of of the early church very close to Jesus, and Peter uh, has this amazing experience. We're introduced to it in Acts chapter 10, where he has gone um, to stay with a guy named Simon the Tanner. And uh, just as a side note, uh, he was probably, if he wasn't considered perpetually unclean, he certainly wasn't looked very favorably upon by the rest of the Jewish community. And Peter chose to stay with him. And while he's there, Uh, He's up on the rooftop praying, just climate culture, doesn't matter where. He was praying, and he had a vision. And God started to reframe Peter's thinking about what is clean or unclean, who is acceptable and who is not acceptable in God's eyes. And after Peter has this vision, some men show up at the door. And God says, by the way, they're coming, go with them. And these are... Uh, Roman men. These are servants from a household of a guy named Cornelius, who's a Roman officer. And they invite Peter to come with them from Joppa, uh, several miles up the coastline to a city of Caesarea. And Peter goes with them. And this has got to be 
just disturbing for everybody involved, including Peter, of which it is. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 10. And so Peter goes to see them. Cornelius greets him at the door. Cornelius falls down and worships at his feet. And I kind of thought, we should try that on a Sunday uh, with the pastor. Uh, Just, no, you don't think so? (laughs) He falls at Peter's feet. Peter grabs him up and says, like, stop this. I'm just a guy. But Cornelius is so glad he's there. And Peter's in his house. And then I want to read these verses for you. We'll put them on the screen for you. Acts 10, verse 28 and 29. So Peter told them, Cornelius and his family and his friends, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean, so I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Peter had to have a reframing of his framework. And God used an outsider, somebody that was typically considered unclean, impure, stay away from them. God used that person to cause Peter to reframe his thinking about who the church is, who could be part of God's kingdom, and how they would actually go about reaching them. Because for Peter to do that was an incredible risk. And Peter took a lot of flack. You can read about it as you continue reading the story in Acts 10 into Acts 11. And actually all the way through to Acts 15, you see the early church struggling with this concept. Are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? And God was reframing their thinking. And throughout history, there have been times in the church where the church is needed to reframe its thinking and I happen to think we are living in one of those times now in our day and age in our culture everything is changing radically it's not just churches it's businesses it's governments it's not for profits everyone is trying to figure out the world in which we live and I believe that we're in a time where we have this incredible opportunity to allow God to reframe our thinking about what it means to be the church. We're living in a changing Canadian landscape religiously. Uh, the church that, or the culture that we grew up with is not the same culture that was just 20 years ago. And I want to put this graphic up for you. Uh, The Canadian religious landscape, uh, research uh, in Canadian church attendance um, from 1947, I just rounded it up to 1950. Apologize for the numbers being low. So the first column is 1950 church attendance, 67% of Canadian people. 1980, 38%. 2000, 31%. And from 2000 to 2015, that jumped 21%, down to 10% of people attending church on a regular basis. We are living in a drastically developing and changing Canadian landscape when it comes to how people view religion, how people view God, how people view spiritual things. And we need to pay attention. You can look at this graph and you can see it in two ways. One, your heart might sink and you think that's terrible. What's wrong with people? Or you could look at this and say, what an amazing opportunity we have to be alive today 
and be part of the church and be part of God's kingdom. You see, our society is much more like Peter's was than maybe ever before. When the early church began, there were very few people that had even heard of Jesus or knew about him. And I believe we live in a day and an age when there are more and more people who maybe have heard of Jesus, but they have no idea who he is. They know a lot about the church, or at least what they've heard about the church. They maybe haven't experienced it, but some professor said it or some news person said it, so they believe it to be true. And they have perceived conceptions of the church. We're not here today to talk about getting people to church, but we are here today to recognize that people need Jesus. And God's plan is actually to use the church uh, to introduce them to Jesus. As Dave said, people are reading the Christian rather than reading the Bible. So here's the thing. Our changing culture, changing times require a change of heart and mind. And we need to pay attention to things like what is happening in the Canadian landscape. And I'll tell you why. Because we are one generation away from being meaningless. Not irrelevant. The church is one generation away from being meaningless. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, talk to young people who are finishing high school and just heading off into university and have conversation with them about spiritual things. We need to pay attention to this because the call that Jesus has given to the church has not changed. And that is to actually be good news. See, the good news wasn't just a message that people gave. The good news was somebody that the the Christians introduced others to. And so as a church, we're called to be the body of Christ. So we are to be that good news. So we have this great opportunity to just keep living out what Jesus has called us to. And people are still interested in spiritual things. Even though that graphic may not show it. There's a place in town here in Collingwood called Sanctuary. I don't know if any of you have heard of it, but there's about 700 to 1,000 people connected at Sanctuary, and they ha- everything they do is built around spirituality, Reiki and healing touch and yoga and mindfulness. People are incredibly interested still in spiritual things. A lot of people are. They just don't equate with any answers coming out of the church to address their spirituality. And so we particularly, um, and when I talk about the church, I'm not just talking about new life, although here in new life, we have our specific response to all of this. But I just think the church needs to reframe its thinking in what it means to be the good news for our world today. So we need to pay attention to these things. And you might be asking, so, so what are we doing? Well, here at New Life, we're making a, a commitment to continue journeying along the strategic initiatives of helping people find Jesus, follow Jesus, join the community, and making a difference. We think this is a good path, not only for us as a congregation, but for each person as an individual. This is what we want for you, not what we want from you. And so we see how this is helping people. And you heard some examples of that this morning. Our leadership, who is taking this stuff very seriously, is even right now engaged in conversations about establishing some new, very ambitious five- to seven-year goals. 
And we haven't come to a conclusion on those yet, and, and we're moving towards them, and we will communicate them with the congregation when we kind of feel like God has, has helped bring clarity to that. And when we do, we're going to be asking all of us to rally around those goals in each one of these four strategic initiatives. And beginning this year and moving forward, we are offering new opportunities. We're offering these opportunities for us to grow and learn together in engaging with our community. Our vision is to see Jesus' love touch every person in the Georgian Triangle. And I would even say, you know, we could blow that out a lot further, but I think God has called us here locally in the Georgian Triangle to make sure that of 55,000 people in a, in a driving radius of here, that each one of them has the opportunity to, to experience the love of Jesus in a meaningful way. And that's what our goals are going to be revolving around, is actually making that become reality, because it is possible. And we have this incredible opportunity that lies before us. We're celebrating 2019 and all that God has done, and yet what lies before us is probably the most exciting opportunities and times as a congregation that we can ever uh, walk through together. So here's what we're going to ask of you in response to all this. So we're going to ask you to make some commitments. If you've been part of this congregation for 30 years, we're going to ask you to make a commitment to this. If this is your very first Sunday, welcome. We're going to ask you to make a commitment to this. (laughs) And if you're anywhere in between... I want to ask you to make a commitment to one another. And in so doing, in each one of these, I want you to understand we're asking for a commitment to the Lord wherever you're at. So we never, we never separate the vertical axis, our relationship with God, with the horizontal. They just happen together. So we're going to ask you to make a commitment to one another. And you do that by participating by elevating the priority of your walk with God, your family, by attending, by participating, by giving, so that we can do the things that we want to do. And we're going to ask, we're going to ask you to make that commitment. We're going to ask you to make a commitment to learning, to being open to letting God reframe your thinking. So we're going to be offering opportunities, whether it's uh, workshops, weekly things, emails, uh, online stuff, Sunday mornings. We're going to ask you to commit to learning together. We don't just mean head knowledge. We mean experiential learning and growing together. We're going to ask you to make a commitment to loving Radical, outrageous love. The kind of love that goes way beyond what you ever thought was possible of yourself. The kind of love towards others that will make you and those around you feel uncomfortable. Because that's what the love of Christ is like and that's what the love of Christ does. And we're going to ask you to make a commitment to risk. P 
Peter took a huge gamble by going to the house of Cornelius. And it could have gone so much worse than it did. But God was in that. And amazing things happened. And it wasn't like everything was rosy after that. It was a struggle. Read through to Acts 15 and see how much the church struggled with this shift in thinking. So we're going to ask you to take risks with us. And your first question is, what are we going to do? I have no idea. That's what we're talking about right now. And we'll try to have that as a conversation. But I can promise you we will do things in the future, in the next coming years, that you're probably going to be uncomfortable with. And it won't be just because we feel like doing it. It'll be because we're on our knees seeking God and trying to figure out where he's leading us. And if we go for five years and none of us are feeling uncomfortable about anything, then God help us. We need to reframe our thinking. And we need to invite the Holy Spirit to do that within us. And we're asking you to make these commitments. Our changing times require a change of heart and mind. And it is so worth it. And I am so excited about what lies ahead. And I trust that we will walk this journey together to bring honor and glory to Christ. Amen. It's time to eat. So I want to pray, offer um, a prayer of thanks for our food. Uh, if you're staying for lunch, if, if this is your first time, lunch is free. It's on us. Stay, enjoy. It's amazing. Um, some type of uh, German cabbage, kielbasa, meat soup. It's, it smells wonderful. And then the lentil soup. Um, so fresh bread, um, good conversation on the table. Stay. If you are staying for lunch, try to help tidy up at the end with the chairs and tables and stuff. Our AGM, the actual business part of the AGM, will happen immediately after lunch. So uh, shortly after 12, probably. And being here, it's not a terribly long meeting, but it is the business stuff we need to do. Everyone's welcome uh, if you want to hear more about what's going on. Um, if you want to talk more, happy to do that. And um, invite you to join with me now in prayer. Father, thank you that, uh, that you are laying before us a wide open field to actually take your love to all the people in the Georgian Triangle. And we don't want to forget about the Dominican and Cuba and these other places that we're involved as well. But we know that here is our primary source of influence and pray that we would... Um, that we would just allow you to open our eyes, to change our hearts and minds, to be open to where your spirit's leading. May you make us uncomfortable and shifting in our seats when we think about what we've gotten ourselves into. But then we're just reminded of how you embrace discomfort for us. And we know that we're just following in your footsteps. Thank you for those that have put together the meal. Uh, thank you for them. What a joy and blessing they are to the rest of us. For those that have set this stuff up, thank you for all those that have participated in making today possible. 
we are so grateful to be your people, to be this family. And, uh, and we will eat with glad hearts, knowing that you are fully present with us. Amen.